Well, our scripture reading today, I hope you're familiar with it by now. Um, it comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 6, and I invite you to read silently along with me in your own Bibles or in uh, the Pew Bibles or in your bulletin. Hear these words from the prophet Micah. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to God with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give God my firstborn for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, mortal one, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, friends, I'm uh, Echo Connor. I choir. I hope that felt as cool singing as it sounded. Um, that was epic, and I really appreciate. It. I'm just. I was sitting up here laughing, just thinking, great. It, like Connor said, I can't. We should just end now, but we're not going to. <laughs> because I've, I've prepared a sermon and we're going to do this. Um, we have been in the series for the month of August talking about Micah 6, 8. I've invited you to dwell on this passage for the year in your prayer time because I think this verse, this requirement of God in Micah is still necessary. And over this year, I want to see if we as a church body can simply concentrate on how to be just to be kind and to be humble. Of course, I think you, you all have uh, already got a little bit of that in you, but I think it would be a worthy endeavor to really adopt these three things, these core values into our, our community. In any company or organization, there are ethics or ideals that guide the whole when making decisions, building relationships, solving problems. These core values inform the direction or focus of any organization and every company has them, whether they say it, they do, or, or, or they don't. I was looking up some core values. Coca-Cola's core values include these words, leadership, passion, quality. Bose sound systems include these on their list of core values, excellence, innovation, respect. Southwest Airlines includes these, pride, efficiency, and humility. And it got me thinking, if you were to boil down God's core values in Scripture, what would, what would you do? I mean, where would you start? Would you start at the fruits of the Spirit? Or would you start over at the Ten Commandments? Would you start with Jesus' two commandments, love God and love neighbor? Or would you, would you use Jesus' new commandment, love as I have loved you? I mean, where do you start? I think it's easier if you break it down by book, it gets, it gets a little easier. You begin to see that each biblical author has a particular thing they're trying to get across, has a particular set of core values. Micah's short book is actually, is actually a lesson in trying to redirect a community toward good values. And he shares what core values the leadership of his people have adopted in recent days. Selfishness, corruption, bribery, arrogance. But Micah 6.8 is the moment in the book when he does a redirect. And he poses the question to the people, how can, how can we get back to some core values that matter to God and that will actually begin 
to help God remake us into the people we were intended to be. And God says, you know what I require. You know the core values that I'm after. If you can adopt a posture of justice, kindness, and humility, if you let those three things guide your steps and your decisions and your hearts and your minds, you will begin to take steps back toward me. And now we've spent time this month talking about the first two, what it looks like to be just and to be kind, but I wonder what it might mean to be directed today by humility. What could happen if we adopted humility as a core value for this community? What would, ha- what would that mean for you and for me? What would that mean for us? In 1729, there was a guy named William Law, and he was a priest in the Church of England, And he published a book that would go on to influence a lot of people, people like William Wilberforce and John Wesley. The book is called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. And this was a seminary reading. It's actually kind of nice because it's short chapters and it's not that hard to read for 1700s English, which is surprising. And it it was designed actually to prod indifferent Christians into making an honest effort to live up to what they said they believed. And there are chapters on on how to spend money, there are chapters on when to pray, what time of the day, and what to pray at that time. There are chapters on bigger things, conforming to the will of God, and then there's a chapter on the virtue and discipline of humility. There is one chapter after that, though, that I've always found a little bit odd. The chapter is entitled, The Practice of Humility. Now, if you're like me, I've always thought of Humble is just something you are. Humility is something, a value, a way of being. You know it when you see it. You also know it when you don't see it. Like the guy who won the medal for his humility, but they took it away as soon as he wore it. Anybody? (laughs) It's a gentle church laugh. Law, that's probably what it deserved. Law is convinced that humility is not just who you are, though. It is something to be done. Humility should not just stay an adjective. It's got to be a verb. Now, the virtue of humility for, for, for uh, Pastor Law is humility is the very state of religion. It's the foundation and support of every virtue and good work. In other words, like sinful ways can be traced back to pride, the majority of good and loving actions and attitudes can be traced back to humility. Now, humility is not having a bad opinion of yourself. It's not treating yourself poorly or constantly thinking less of yourself. Humility begins at a basic understanding of who I really am on the inside, my flaws, my sins, my inner thoughts. Humility really acknowledges that if anybody in the world, friends, family, anybody knew who I really was, I might be done for. So it starts with that acknowledgement. I know who I really am, but humility doesn't end there. For the Christian, being humble means that I am aware of my sinfulness, yes, who I really am, but also I have some awareness of the lengths to which Jesus has gone to love me and to save me and how much he continues to do for me. Jesus knows who I really am on the inside, and even so, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is true humility that leads to the practice of humility, when the human heart can become aware of both its true nature, but also the lengths to which God will go to love that nature, that heart, the the person, the heart will naturally seek to exercise some way of giving thanks for that which has been done to save it. 
A little bit later, we're going to sing one of my favorite hymns. I know it's Warren's favorite hymn, the famous Charles Wesley hymn. And the first verse we sing adopts this exact posture of humility. This is what it asks. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's Christian humility in a question. I am aware of who I am and how much Jesus loves me anyway. And it's out of this understanding that we should seek to practice humility. But how do you practice it? Reverend Law says that to practice humility, you must seek to learn. He says, like a young beginner who has all of it to learn and who can learn but little at a time, He says, you must consider that you have not only this virtue to learn, but that you must be content to proceed as a learner in it all your time, endeavoring after greater degrees of it and practicing everyday acts of humility as you everyday practice acts of devotion. What is he saying? He's saying that the practice of humility begins with the understanding that I don't know it all. And I must adopt the perspective of a student who desires to learn, who wants to know more, like the little kid who can't stop asking his parents why. (laughs) The one who practices humility is the one who seeks to be a lifelong learner. Now, pause there because I think we've all met the opposite of that. (laughs) You've probably met people who think they've already learned all they care to learn, who are no longer teachable. I call these people done learners because they're done learning. And do you know how to pick a done learner? You look for the person who's always right. (laughs) They're done learning. Now, pause, because to be fair, I'm not talking about the kind of thing that occurs in a marriage. I can tell you after two years that Adair is right. But (laughs) it's not because she's done learning. Her way is just better. I just want you to know that. No, the done learner is the person who says, I don't need to know anything about you. I don't need to know anything about your experience, about your history. I'm not interested in where you came from. I'm not interested in where you're going. I don't need to know the context of the argument or the question that triggered the response. I already know all I need to know. I'm good. I think it was Mark Twain who said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. (laughs) The Pharisees portray this this part well and often in the Gospels, don't they? Most Most times they approach Jesus with a question to which they already know the answer. Jesus, is it right to pay these taxes to Caesar? Jesus, who sinned to make this man born blind, him or his parents? Jesus... The law says we should stone this woman. What do you say? They always come knowing the answer, and they're never seeking to learn. They just want to pigeonhole Jesus. They just want to get him in a corner. And whenever they leave, they're just thinking about the next corner. Oh, he evaded that one. We'll get him next time. They don't want to learn. Friends, I think in recent days we've seen an uptick in that kind of thing. And people who no longer care to learn, who are no longer teachable, and who know everything they need to know about everything. 
And the unfortunate thing is that when, you are, when we are done learning, according to Mr. Law, we lose out on the seat of all goodness and grace, humility. Of course, this, this happens to most of us in some way anyway. Lynn Wilson wrote a book uh, called Think Like a Five-Year-Old, and this book talks about the creative genius of children, their desire to learn. And he talks about a test that NASA developed to gauge creativity in astronauts. And it's this test that was actually part of the process that saved the astronauts on Apollo 13. They never made it to the moon, if you remember, but through creativity and I think duct tape in the midst of disaster, they made it home. And later on, NASA would revise that test and it was offered to little children to see how creative they could be. They gave the test to a group of five-year-olds and determined that 98% of those five-year-olds were creative geniuses. Five years later, the test was given to the same group 10 years old, and 30% tested as creative geniuses. At age 15, it was 12%. At age 30, it was 2. 2%. What happened? They grew up. They lost their creativity, their curiosity. The study showed what happens naturally to us if we aren't careful. We become satisfied in what we know. We no longer seek to be teachable too many of us gradually just decide to be done learning. And I worry that the American church is in decline today, not because of lots of reasons we probably hear on the news or anything like that. I think we're in trouble because we have too many of us who are just done learning. And can a person who knows everything already truly practice humility? Maybe a better question is, can a person who knows everything already be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? New Testament was written down in Greek in the first century AD, and do you know what Greek, the Greek term for disciple is? It's mathetes. Do you know what that word means? It means student. It means apprentice. It means learner. So, when you were called to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you were called to become a student a studier, a learner of Jesus. And a student of Jesus is never done learning. And a disciple who is teachable, who seeks to know and to learn, shows the sure symptoms of a deeper understanding that he or she doesn't know everything, and that is most certainly an indication to me of humility. Susan Beaumont is an American Baptist pastor, and she wrote a book recently called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. And she says this, it is when I get too full of my own knowing that God is always at the ready to correct my ego. We must be willing to learn, to question our own presuppositions, not just everybody else's, so that, she says, we might remain humble. Phoebe Palmer was an early Methodist in the 1800s. She was moved by the idea of humility, and she said, it is only to the humble and contrite that pardon has been promised. Scripture says, God shall save the humble person. Scripture says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Scripture says, because thou didst humble thyself. What is she saying? She's saying you've got to be a student. You've got a lot to learn. And the one who desires to learn... That continues into something deeper. For once someone is done learning, they lose the ability to see their place in the world, their place in the story of salvation, and their need for grace. Yesterday, as many of us 
met at Greenville Street Park in the morning. We, part- we, we were participating in River Life's Serve Coweta Day. And I went with Ted Burnett and Greg Othout and a bunch of others to a site to do some chainsawing. Only time I'd ever use a chainsaw was on the end of a Christmas tree. And so before we began, Ted made sure we went over all the proper safety instructions. There's a lot having to do with chainsaws, for good reason. (laughs) And throughout his instruction, Ted, uh, you said, don't ever hesitate to ask questions for whatever reason. There are no stupid questions when it comes to chainsaws. We're here to help you learn how to use this equipment and how to do so safely. We were all learners in the presence of chainsaws yesterday. We were all humble before the certain power of these high-powered machines that deserve our humility. But Ted's attitude in the midst of service reminded me of humility before a much mightier power. (laughs) When I was a youth minister in Dunwoody, we, we always spent our summers on mission trips. We took kids everywhere, and one year we took our high schoolers to Hart Butte, Montana, and we stayed at the Blackfeet Reservation. We slept and ate at a local school that was out for the summer. We ran VBS for kids, something about, something like 50% of that community, those kids are in poverty. And we did home repair for those that needed it. It's not that different from most mission trips, I imagine. What was different about the mission trip was being a part of a different culture. Maybe some of you that just went to Guatemala can say something about that. It's interesting to, to leave your home space and be in a different culture. And we were part of the Blackfeet culture, and we were taking it in. We spent the evenings eating dinner and learning about Blackfeet history and culture from some of the Blackfeet nation elders. And one night, I'll never forget, we spent the evening learning from one of the female elders in that community who was a Christian. Many of the Blackfeet people are. And she showed us how Blackfeet Christians in the community had come to Jesus and how they'd incorporated so many aspects of their ancient and beloved culture and history into their newfound faith. If you know anything of church history, you know that Christianity has kind of always been that way. Jesus finds his way into our hearts, and then we find ways to adapt our culture uh, so that Jesus can be at work in that community. And this experience was fascinating to me. It was one of the first times I'd ever experienced anything like this. I loved it. And I learned that the core values are the same for me and for the Blackfeet Christians. Christians in Noonan, Georgia, aren't really that different from Christians in the Blackfeet Nation. Jesus loves us, Jesus saves us, and walks with us, and empowers us to go into the world and to make disciples, to make students. But everything else was so different. The way they incorporated rituals and dancing and understandings into their faith in Jesus. And it made me realize that my practice of faith, that had mainly been cultivated in a 50-mile radius from Athens, Georgia, Lawrenceville, to Candler and Decatur, (laughs) I had yet to understand the diversity of practice and ritual across the world, let alone in my own country. The next day, I got in the car with a few of my youth and one of the mission trip leaders who ran the site for the summer. Uh, These sites that we used to go to were run by college students. And so all the people who worked as part of this mission were were in college at some point. And so we got in the car uh, to go and get some supplies for one of the construction project projects, and we started talking. And he asked one of my students, John, what he thought of the trip so far. And John told him that everyone was loving it, and our group was learning so much. And I was just listening to the conversation, interested to see what my students would say. 
And he asked, is there anything specific so far? And John said, well, last night was really cool. We got, when we listened to the elder share how she, how she had come to Jesus and how she incorporated parts of her culture, culture and rituals into her practice of Christianity, we thought it was amazing and really cool to learn from her. I feel like God is a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> and that's when the group leader turned to my student and said, well, a lot of people say they're Christians up here, but those Native American rituals aren't good, and it's just a shame it's not real Christianity. In the rest of the drive, I dared not ask what our new Blackfeet brothers and sisters in Christ might think of our rituals and worship in Dunwoody, Georgia, in Noonan. I wondered what they would think of our customs if they joined us on a Sunday morning in Georgia. I'm sure some of what they might witness us doing together might seem odd and foreign to them, but I doubt they'd ever question our mutual faith in a common Savior who has gone to great lengths to save us. I sat there the rest of the car ride wondering if this guy, who was a college student, had forgotten how to learn. I've talked the last few weeks about the need in our politics and our country and probably the world for a change in how we relate to one another and how we dialogue and how we fight. I told you, David Brooks wrote an article called How America Got Mean. And it's true, I think one of the reasons is that we no longer care about humility. That's not a value that seems to be important anymore. And do you know how I know that? Because you can see the fruit. Teachability and the desire to learn are getting hard to find, and disciples have forgotten how to be students. But friends, the requirement in Micah is this. You must be just and practice justice. You must be kind and practice kindness, and you must be humble and practice humility. These are core values. So today I tell each of you, I say to each of you, my heart for you is that you might be humble and you might practice humility. May you know that the practice of humility is a key part of discipleship. May you remember that disciple means student. And may you never stop desiring to learn. May you always carry with you the curiosity and creativity and teachability of a child. For Jesus says you must become as these little ones to get anywhere near the kingdom. For the road to discipleship, the road to the requirement of Micah, the way to humility is in knowing who I really am and knowing what God has done for me and in my simple desire to learn about it for the rest of my days. And friends, today I've got to tell you, I've got a lot to learn. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have called us to be disciples, to be students who follow in the footsteps of their rabbi. And God, that call is not easy. In a world that seems to shy away from humility, to shy away from learning, to say, I, I already know all I need to know, God, enter into our hearts, declutter the clutter, and make room for yourself in our hearts that we might be closer and closer each day to the humility that you require. God, make us teachable. Make us lifelong learners. And come, Lord Jesus, come. May we know who we are 
But more than that, may we know who you say we are. May we know what it is that you have done for us. And may we walk through all of our days asking ourselves, and can it be? God, we pray this in the name of Jesus the Christ, who has indeed saved us. Amen.